We are nearing the end of this year's ARC. Um, if you recall, our um, abbreviation or acronym, whatever, our sentence for this five-year sermon ARC is, When my endeavors draft futility, God's answer inspires lasting beauty. So over the course of this year, we've been hitting the, the F and the G of that. What do you call that? Like when you make a sentence for something? Anagram? I don't remember. But faithful and grounded. Grounded. And the beauty that comes um, with being faithful and grounded. So this will be, yeah, very much a uh, sort of a wrap-up next two weeks as we hit first being faithful and the beauty in that and being grounded in the beauty in that. So it'll be a concise sermon which I'm sure will be um, nice for the people that are hosting progressive dinner and have corned beef and stuff to cook. But Nevertheless, let's get into it. Um, so Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting at verse 9, says this. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. But he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. Therefore, you must obey all these commands, decrees, and regulations I am giving you today. If you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you as he promised with an oath to your ancestors. So, just like Moses um, was trying to explain to the Jews way back then, um, throughout the course of this year, it's been the eldership's intent to make you aware of the fact that there is reason to be faithful. Um, a big problem that plagues the, the church at large today is that they have extreme difficulties in explaining what, uh, not only what their faith means to them, but um, why. We hear things like, um, it's just how they feel, you know, and you hear the popular leap of um, faith phrase, things that really don't, that are irrational and aren't founded on much of anything. They can't they have a hard time explaining them. To these people, um, it's, it's just not something that can be explained, if you've heard that. You either have it or you don't. Um, this way of expression can and will continue to be of a huge detriment to the church um, if we can't on some level articulate what exactly being faithful means to us, um, to whom and why and for what reason. We can't expect to be effective disciples of Christ if we can't, um, in a reasonable way, articulate the truth um, that Christ brings, and a truth that can be explained because it's a truth that's actually grounded in reason. So in an effort to equip you with these tools for articulation, we recognize that it's been kind of a weird year as far as like sermons go and stuff. It's been much more um, classroomy um, than usual. Um, but that's because this entire year has been rooted in our apologetic as believers. If we claim to be his disciples, we should be able to explain why to those who would hear it and defend it um, to those who would attack it. So this year, we've gone over many different things um, in an effort to establish the reasons and way in which we draw our faith. We've gone over the historicity of scripture uh, or the historicity of Jesus and the infallibility of Scripture. Our Scripture contains the most reliable and corroborated documents um, in history, even more than, I think Josh gave the example of the Odyssey, which is like largely seen as like 
this thing that's like, um, yeah, is, is a, a, what do you call it? Like a well-attested document. Um, we learned about multiple attestation. We learned of Jesus in the Old Testament. God has always been preparing man for this narrative, and Christ has always been present. We learned of the myths versus Jesus. Man has tried to dumb Jesus down to just another avatar in a long line of false gods. We learned of his claim to sonship. Uh, the man Jesus of Nazareth knew, knew exactly who he was and his place in the Trinity, and he acted and spoke accordingly. When we examine his psychology, we don't see a, a crazy person. We see someone who is sane and stable and, and acts normal. Um, we learned of Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, being the, being the one who fulfilled the prophecies um, of that messianic figure that were foretold. We learned of his claim to godhood. He made bold and direct claims about who he was, and when we analyzed like, the original Greek um, text, we can, we can see the words he used and the phrases he used, and there's no confusion over this. We learned about him as being unique, unique from his unique birth and death and resurrection. He's unique in every way. Again, he's not just a, a repeat in a long line. We learned about his humanity. He was fully man and experienced all the same uh, joys and sorrows and pains and sensations that uh, we do as men and women. He was more man than us even. He was the perfect man. Uh, we learned about his supernatural nature. We can be faithful and grounded in Jesus and his authoritative claim in the spiritual realm since scripture paints the narrative of Christ which shows his power of salvation not just to, to humanity <laughs> but to his uh, authority um, in the, the rebellion and the divine council as well. Um, and we learned about his resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is arguably the most important event in all of scripture and human history even. Uh, so thankfully, God has given us ample evidence of the physical truth of the resurrection through the biblical and extra-biblical testimony of Jesus through his death and empty tomb and um, appearances uh, of the resurrected Jesus to uh, multiple people and the transformation of the apostles' behavior and their carrying out of um, the Great Commission. And then last month, finally, we learned about eschatology. There will be a time of great tribulation and judgment, but we can have hope that there is going to be an eternal future with Christ. So, 11 months of looking into these different um, aspects and reasons. So for some people, um, scholars even, it's hard for them to um, understand or accept the possibility of a few of, of, of these things, or even one. Um, they get so hung up on the possibility of, like I said, even one, that they forget the rest of the compelling and overwhelming evidence um, that supports the Christ narrative. But it would be unreasonable to cast doubt over the whole thing, over a single um, objection or difficulty. And that's because there's, like I said, a backdrop of other relevant um, evidence that creates the strong presumption in favor of Jesus Christ and faith in him. 
um, by just isolating and examining individual and nitpicking individual things, it isn't enough. We have to account for the broad sweep of evidence um, as each individual objection is weighed against um, him. For example, someone who's being wrongly accused of a crime, whatever it may be, um, they don't have their whole defense thrown out because of one detail that's hard to understand, um, despite the overwhelming evidence in their favor. Hopefully they don't have their case, whole case thrown out. Um, sometimes the easiest and most logical thing is to accept what is logical, rather than get hung up on the one thing that uh, someone might have trouble understanding. And we apply, um, or should apply, the same logic in our relationships with people. So I'm going to pick on Brittany for a second, but take, take my wife, for example. Um, I operate on the presumption that Brittany, <laughs> everyone look at Brittany. I operate on the presumption that Brittany is a good person. If I didn't, I probably wouldn't have married her, shouldn't have married her, I don't know. Um, there's things that I struggle to understand with Brittany, um, like why when you try to give her constructive criticism, she goes on the defensive, you know, and you have to sort of coax her out of that and remind her that you love her and you want the best version of Brittany. Um, or why she's okay with going to bed with dirty feet. Why, <laughs> or why she some, sometimes struggles to act with urgency. Or why when she walks with those feet, it's like she's trying, trying to drive it through the ground. Um, yeah. So <laughs> just because of those things, I, <laughs> no, 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 okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I won't mention you anymore, but. Just because there are things that are hard for me to understand um, or things that I struggle with in our relationship with, with me and Brittany, um, I still operate on the sweeping evidence that she is a good person, you know? She's more good than anything. Um, she's a, um, she treats people de decent. She's a loving mother and a loving and helpful wife, and she lives a life of service to Christ and the church. Um, I don't throw her away or, you know, sum her up as bad because of one detail that I have a hard time understanding. Um, as, a, as, as her being a dynamic person. So the same logic and defense can and should be used um, when we're dealing with and understanding our relationship with the even more dynamic Christ. Our faith is based on the sweeping evidence for Christ in all of his dynamic nature and how he interacted and placed himself throughout history and what he claimed and his work on the cross and all of it. William Lane Craig, who is a Christian philosopher, said, if God does not exist, then life is futile. But if the God of the Bible does exist, then life is meaningful. So only the latter enables us to live a hap happily and consistently. So it would seem that even if the evidence uh, of these two options were scaled equally, then it would be irrational to prefer, what would it be, the latter, the former? Yeah, the former. Um, it would be ir irrational to prefer death and futility and the destruction of life and meaningfulness and uh, happiness. And another philosopher said, we have nothing to lose. If that's the case, we have nothing to lose and infinity to gain. So as we have explored the depths of these, these different topics, uh, we've sought to illustrate for you that our triune God, when sought after, 
is the most reasonable conclusion that man can come to. And we hang our faith on that reason. And that reason is wrapped up in the life and work and death and resurrection and promised return of Jesus. Um, I'll give you, oh my gosh, this thing won't stop sliding. I'll give you another illustration. So, as Josh mentioned, and I mentioned earlier in the sermon, at the beginning of the year, we've kept hitting all year, we are faithful and planted in his narrative, Christ's narrative. Not our own, not our own feelings, and certainly not on the thousand other different social uh, narratives, false narratives, as, um, as we talk about, that we see being thrown around today. We are not defined by our political stance. We're not defined by our sexuality or by our race or by our wealth. And so being faithful requires discipline to live in the correct narrative that we are called to as Christians. Again, Josh said at the beginning, and we've touched on it, we, we are at war, and we should be treating it as a war. Um, is up, it's not up there now, but it's been up there all year. Join the fray is the slogan for this. It's on this one now. Uh, join the fray. And so our faith is like aiming a gun or a bow, if you fancy. Right, James and Jeremiah? Wherever Jeremiah is. Um, in order to be successful at hitting the target, we have to stay disciplined in that. We aim steady, and we account for the wind, and we account for gravity, and we steady our breathing. We focus, and we practice constantly, and when we do, our aim becomes our reflex. It becomes our natural execution and our course of action. This is how we should treat our faith. We remain faithful because Christ demonstrated the perfect aim. We see this in how he placed himself in time and space, as I said. Uh, always aiming, pun intended, um, to tell God's story. The fullness of his life and work um, on the cross and promise return conclude the story and create the perfect crosshair for us to aim with. His faithfulness to telling the story is perfect and beautiful. And our faithfulness to him in turn will produce that same perfection and that same beauty uh, when we accept his training and adhere to his revelation. Our aim is guaranteed and true because we have the confident hope and promise of Christ that through him we will hit the target. But it takes a lifetime of work and flexing of those muscles. Um, a master archer or marksman doesn't just become a master archer or marksman um, overnight. And even when they do hit that level of um, mastery or accuracy or whatever, um, they always have to be training and disciplined in that. Um, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but I'm a big fan of him. His name is Cameron Haynes. He's a professional bow hunter. You know who he is? He's a professional bow hunter. I follow him on Instagram, too. Um, and I see him on Instagram, like, probably like five times a week or something, just like practicing in his backyard. So this guy, he's seriously like, he's the Michael Jordan of bow hunting. Like, he's sponsored by, like, Under Armour and all this stuff. He's super cool dude. Lives in Eugene, as a matter of fact. Um, he doesn't just become as proficient as he is and get the status he does by, you know, doing, not, not putting in the work and not being disciplined in his craft. He practices all the time, and this is how we should treat our faith and our articulation of our faith and understanding of the reasons that we've been talking about. 
So when we align ourselves with the reality and truth of his narrative, of this narrative in Christ, we can understand and articulate that reasonable nature, as I just said. And there is beauty in that. And the beauty comes in realizing the depths and dynamicness of Christ. Um, who he was, the roles of he fulfilled, and the work he accomplished. Uh, Romans 8 says this, and I know I've used this uh, a couple times this year, but it's a great, great part of scripture, so what can I say? Um, starting at verse 31. We shall, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor of, at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And it goes on, but I'll stop there. God's beauty and his design and um, creation and narrative wrapped up in the life of Christ is what feeds us. Because he is faithful, that makes him completely dependable and we can lean on him. And our faith in turn can be capable of manifesting beauty in the way that we live um, and interact and are in relationship with people, the way that we behave. We develop not only uh, a deeper appreciation, appreciation for our own relationship with God, but also an ability to share it with un- others and defend it in a much more effective way than the people like um, you're hearing today, you know, of what they have to say about faith. Not explainable. Revelations 2 says, but if you remain faithful even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. This was a message written to the church in Smyrna, which was about to go through difficulty. They had been faithful, and Jesus assured them that if they remained faithful, um, he would reward them with the crown of life. In, uh, in the book of James, he gave a similar promise. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Be faithful unto death is the message. And this requires the ultimate commitment. Do we have that kind of commitment to faithfulness? And do we truly understand why? And can we explain why? That's what this year has been about. That our commitment, our enlistment in this war is with good reason. Um, We're not signing up for it not knowing um, why. And we should be able to articulate why we're enlisting in this war. Because in Christ, the war is already won but the battles still need to be had. And we can model our faith uh, after the people that have come before us. We find encouragement in their example, and we think of people like Abraham and Daniel and the apostles, people whose faith was so strong and sure that they were willing to die for it, and did, and in turn brought kings and men to know God and Christ. 
So, with that said, how has your understanding of faith and beauty developed over the course of this year? How has it challenged you to grow? In what ways do you feel better equipped to talk about what faith means to you and why? And is your faith rooted in Christ's narrative or do you find yourself distracted or beckoned by all of the other noise around you? We should talk about this. Thanks.